It is my great honor to introduce our speaker this afternoon, although truth be told, he really needs no introduction in Swift Hall. Jean-Luc Marion is currently the Thomas Greeley and Grace McNichols Greeley Professor of Catholic Studies and Professor of Philosophy of Religions and Theology, as well as Professor in the Committee on Social Thought and the Department of Philosophy at the University of Chicago. In addition, he is currently Professor Emeritus of the University of Paris Sorbonne. Uh, uh, in 2008, Professor Marion was elected to the fourth chair of the French Academy. One of the leading figures in the fields of philosophy and Christian theology, Professor Marion is the author of numerous books, including Idol and Distance, Reduction and Givenness, God Without Being, and The Erotic Phenomenon. His most recent works include Negative Certitudes and Descartes' Passive Thought. In 2014, he delivered the Gifford Lectures, published by Oxford University Press as Givenness and Revelation, which he is currently expanding to a book-length study on the concept of revelation. The title of Professor Marion's talk this afternoon is What Do We Mean When We Speak of Revelation? So please join me in welcoming Jean-Luc Marion. Thank you very much uh, for this uh, invitation. Um, I thank you <laughs> all the more because uh, I shall give uh, um, uh, a report about how far I went in my endless uh, attempt to complete uh, an essay on the concept of revelation. I say endless attempt because I started uh, six or seven years ago I've published the first draft, which was the Gifford Lectures, Givenness and uh, Revelation. And uh, two years later, I published uh, in German, and I gave a lecture in Germany, uh, uh, Das Erscheinen des Unsichtbaren, which is the second draft. And I'm working now <laughs> on the third draft. Uh, 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 hopefully to have at least a French text about that. So uh, uh, this is, in fact, the part, the introductory part of the last, I hope, uh, uh, draft of this book, uh, unfinished and perhaps uh, uh, un impossible to complete, on Revelation. So thank you to give me the opportunity to uh, speed up a bit in this uh, uh, project. I would like to ask the question of revelation in a very formal way, uh, not to explain whether there is a revelation, whether uh, it is this or that, but to ask myself, in the style of Kant, uh, what should be a phenomenon to be rightly uh, qualified of being a revelation? So assume that revelation refers to uh, the visibility, the manifestation, the phenomenality. And this being uh, provided, my question is, what kind of phenomenality, what kind of phenomenon 
we are allowed to consider as revelation. Perhaps there is no such uh, kind of, of uh, phenomenon. In that case, we have to give up the concept of revelation. Or if there is one, it may have some precise characteristics. So let us try to give, this to give a sketch of this formal definition. Let us start with uh, a very, uh, so to speak, uh, grassroots consideration. What is our experience of the world in the daily life? It is the experience, I would say, and perhaps we can uh, verify this each at the end of each day, for instance today, that many things have happened during this day, but most of them will be completely forgotten soon. And I would say, uh, the more we can forget a larger part of the previous day, the better it is. That is, everything went normal. Everything was fine. And to say everything was fine is just, I have no need to pay attention anymore to what happened. And so, uh, the daily life uh, consists in the normal course of experience which allow me to happily forget it. As uh, in some ads, at TV, they say, uh, uh, do this, uh, push the button, and forget it. It is exactly our way to experience the real life. But among all those visible phenomena which uh, show up and then vanish away and which can and should be forgotten, there are exceptions. There are exceptions, that is, some f appearances that directly and personally affect me. Appearances whose impact I cannot evade and whose injury never uh, heals in my memory. This type of phenomenon does not distinguish itself from others as, as much by what it manifests, because it may be extraordinary, but by the fact that it manifests, it is addressed to me, it affects me and transforms me. As a provisional sketch of the concept, I would say this is a revelation with small r. Let us take an example, very banal example. And uh, in, I intended to make the most banal example possible. Uh, if we try to, uh, uh, to go to a winter resort and to learn how to ski, uh, if you have done that uh, uh, very young, this, is not a, uh, an this was not an excruciating experience for you. But I do have did that. Uh, uh, rather old, and uh, it was difficult for me to <laughs> to ski. That is to uh, be able to make a turn, and you know uh, how it uh, it happens. So you are full equipped, 
you are facing the slope and uh, your friend or the instructor, the coach, tell you, so it is very simple. In fact, you have just to uh, shift your weight from one feet to the other and uh, not uh, the feet closer to the uh, upper part of the slope, but the feet exactly in on the uh, lowest part of the slope. And if you do that, suddenly you have just to push the button and you turn. That's very easy. So indeed you start and it is a catastrophe. <laughs> and you can repeat that many times and uh, the same, you have seen this in the book of instruction. I, I show, I've showed you everything and uh, uh, it's so easy. See again. <laughs> One day, two days, three days, at the end, you are uh, tired, uh, wounded, and despaired. And one day, suddenly, fed up with this uh, uh, catastrophe, you decided, you close your eyes, and you say, okay, I go. And you go, and suddenly, you do the thing. You achieve the, the, the turn, and you are not fallen, you can control your speed, and you can do that again, and suddenly you say, but I did it. And this is the revelation. And I'm serious, it is a revelation. It's a revelation because there is a, a three dimension of uh, this event which will not be forgotten. Evidence, I'm telling you my own experience, so I've not forgotten. <clears throat> the first is that it is a transformation of, I would say, the world, the being in the world. That is, the world is not the same from now on. Before uh, I was able to ski and to make a turn, uh, the whole uh, place was uh, uh, hostile and I could not, uh, I could not uh, uh, walk through the slope, because it's too, too, uh, too much snow, you cannot, uh, you, you, are, you are stuck in, in the snow. From now on, there is a large, a broader place, a broad place to, uh, to go everywhere, and you go, even go out of the track, and have uh, the pleasure, or the threat as well, to uh, ski in a deeper snow. So, suddenly the world is, strictly speaking, open for the first time. So it is not the same wor world. There was an inaccessible world, and suddenly there is an open space, which is the mountain as such. Secondly, uh, you have not only uh, a revealed world, but what is revealed to you is that you are revealed to yourself. That is, you are not the same self. <laughs> not only because you feel comfortable now, you are very proud to that achievement, uh, but uh, now uh, uh, there is a lot of new experiences you will be able to achieve. And uh, it is not a new sport, it is a new uh, relation to space, to your own uh, body, to your muscles, to your gesture, to your behavior in general. So you will be 
quite transformed. And morally speaking, you will you are now very confident, self-confident, and you will use that to uh, to look to the ladies in another way. So you are <laughs> everything is going good. And there is a third transformation. It is that you are socially different. Because now you can go uh, with the, the, the bold guys uh, very up on the mountains and go down with them. You can compete. You can, uh, you can uh, drink beer with them after that and, and, and all that stuff. So you are now a part of uh, the gang. You are received in another society. You are admitted as a member, full member, in an official or unofficial club. So it is the social world which is transformed. So there is many examples of that. Uh, I could not insist you get the point. Uh, where the revelation is just an, a phenomenon which... Uh, will not be forgotten, never, for a crucial reason, he has transformed me. And uh, be careful. This means that against the uh, usual understanding of what a phenomenon is, I mean, if we are uh, we have studied Kant or the first Husserl, we are convinced that we constitute the phenomena. We construct the phenomena. This is largely true, but not always. There are phenomena which, when they appear, constitute us. And this is the daily life. It is not uh, coming from the sky. There is no mysticism there. It is the unforgettable phenomena which plays the role of an event. By event, uh, let us just uh, uh, give uh, a partial and provisional definition. An event is an, a phenomenon which cannot be foreseen, which cannot be intentionally produced, and which cannot be reproduced at will. So it happens once for all. And if another event comes, it will be different from the first. And in any case, I shall not be the uh, efficient cause of the, that phenomenon. We could even say that it will be the f that phenomenon which will be, uh, so to say, an efficient cause on me. And it's why I shall not forget it, because I will be transformed by this event, this phenomenon as an event. So it's possible, I've done that in other books, to uh, describe this kind of daily life <laughs> uh, uh, revelation uh, by uh, uh, describing um, for instance, the situation of an artist performing uh, either uh, a character in a play or uh, 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 a melody or a, a song in, uh, in, uh, in an opera or something like that. Each time he performs his thing and 
it's why each time he can fail or succeed, and if he succeeds, he has this strange experience to be modified by his performance, to have learned a lot about the piece he has performed, about his skill and ability to perform it, and he will not exactly understand what has happened, why he was good or not, why the people, the crowd, was pleased or not. So, apparently, he is the efficient cause of his performance, but to a large part, he does not know how he was successful or not. And for a teacher, a lecturer, it is exactly the same experience. You don't know, <laughs> first, what you say. You, you know what you mean. You don't know exactly how it is understood. So, strictly speaking, I don't know what I say to you right now. <laughs> and I shall perhaps never uh, know it. And to some extent, I hope that because this, in this case, uh, this, this would mean that I have said something which, which was independent of what I meant, and so perhaps it deserves not to be forgotten by you. So, uh, and this is true for in many other cases, sport indeed is a case, any artistic performance or, uh, or teaching is a case, and there is the best example, which is the erotic phenomenon, but I've described that at length in the book you referred to in your introduction, so uh, I don't uh, uh, describe this again. So let us uh, uh, go to my first conclusion. Uh, we say that there is that we have experienced something among the phenomenon which deserves to be called a revelation when this phenomenon was not decided, constitute, produce by myself, when I am not a, a transcendental subject facing it. And in that experience, the concept, the, the phenomenon, does not uh, appear coming from me. It appears upon me, so as an event. It comes upon me. It's why I am not seeing that phenomenon, but uh, I, I feel myself uh, impressed and impacted by the phenomenon. The uh, phenomenon which appears, comes upon me as a, uh, an event or a revelation is exactly, can perfectly well uh, be beyond doubt, indeed, because he has transformed me, and at the same moment remain ununderstandable to me. And most of the time it is the case. 
So it is the reverse case of Sartre, uh, an existence without essence. He has an existence, but he has no meaning. It may have no meaning. And time to time, it should have no meaning. What is the meaning of the erotic phenomenon? To some extent, he has no need of any meaning to impact me. So, this phenomenon does not come from I myself. At least we can say that. There are phenomena which impose themselves on us, and so they don't come from us. They are not operated by us. So, first determination, the phenomenon which deserves to be called a revelation small r is very banal to some extent. There is no human life without a lot of them. Uh, and it's why they frame our personal identity. If the identity is a narrative identity, Ricoeur, <laughs> narrative identity means the narration, the story of the unforgettable uh, uh, revelations. The rest is not a part of the, of, the, of, the, of the story. So this phenomenon has this first characteristic that it comes from elsewhere. Whatever this elsewhere may be, it comes from elsewhere. If we refer this, and it is time, uh, to uh, what uh, uh, phenomenology used to say as the definition of a regular phenomenon, what are the differences between the standard view of the great phenomenologist about what the phenomenon is and this kind of phenomenon? This is my second point. We have already uh, uh, we went already close to uh, this question. The classical uh, and metaphysical approach to the phenomenon, say that of Kant, is that the phenomenon is constituted by synthesis between the uh, uh, intuition in sensibility and the uh, concepts in the understanding, a synthesis into an object. So a phenomenon can be measured can be uh, uh, included in a relationship, have a degree in quality, and is related to the mind. And so uh, each time some conditions, according to those uh, categories, are uh, perfectly well uh, fulfilled, each time we have the same phenomenon. So the phenomenon, as an object, can be perfectly known, can be reproduced, because it can be produced. It's clear that the, the phenomenon of the kind of revelation is in opposition to this uh, determination. But it is not in opposition to a, a broader phenomenological approach to what a phenomenon is. We have to keep in mind the two, I would say, there are others, but 
to my opinion, uh, the two main discoveries made by the two greatest and first uh, phenomenologists. First, Husserl, who in the ideas uh, for uh, uh, phenomenology and philosophical and phenomenological philosophy, uh, published in 1913, first volume, section 24, used to say that uh, the real methodology, so to speak, of uh, phenomenology is to consider that, and this is, is called by Husserl the principle of all principles, all originally, quotation, all originally giving intuition, originaire given de Anschauung, is by right a source of knowledge. That what offers us originally to us in intuition, thus in the intuition originaire gegeben ist, must be, must be taken wholly as it gives itself. That is to say, when we have a phenomenon which can be described uh, as soon as we have something given in the intuition. Uh, the question whether this intuition can be organized by appropriate concepts, whether this uh, intuition can be uh, framed into an object, whether this object can be verified or not, can be seen as consistent, rational or not, and so on. All those questions, very good questions, but they come next. First come the mere description of what is given as it is given. And even if it looks strange, surprising, it has to be described as such. And this means that what makes the phenomenon as such is not his possible objectivation, but his givenness, the fact that it is given, it happens. And indeed, uh, Husserl gives no real definition of what it means to be given. And it is very wise, because the main property of givenness is that it comes first, and something can be given, and without my ability to understand how it is given, how far it is given, in what way it is given. It is precisely what I shall do next. That is to, to, to consider uh, whether it is really given, not really given, partly given, partly uh, object of imagination, all that kind of stuff. But again, like in Revelation, the fact happens by itself from elsewhere, and this, perhaps, notwithstanding this uh, surprising fact that I don't understand where it is coming from and how it is coming from. Simply, it is, it imposes itself to me. And an illusion or an appearance are nevertheless given. To say, this is a wrong appearance. You have to first admit that something was given. You cannot uh, disqualify an appearance without 
some good arguments and to make those arguments to say this is not a real apparition, it is not a real phenomenon because it is not sending, it is not steady, it is not uh, it is confusing and so on, which is good arguments to say this is not a real apparition, it is a pure appearance. But to describe, to disqualify the pure appearance, you have to describe it. It was given. So there is no exception to givenness and there are cases where the givenness is given by itself. And there, there is the second uh, principle, so to speak, uh, in the new definition of a phenomenon uh, which was uh, asserted by Heidegger in the famous uh, chapter 5, section uh, 7, excuse me, of Being in Time, 1927, where he says that phenomenality Phenomenology means apophenestai taphenomena, and he translates to let what shows itself be seen from itself just as it shows itself from itself. To let what shows itself appear as it shows itself. That is, no a priori determination of what is allowed to appear and what is not allowed to appear. This distinction will come indeed, but later. The first thing is to let the thing appear by themselves, in themselves. He says, an, an himself. That is, as a thing in itself, to speak the language of Kant. So, <coughs> we could say that a phenomenon, small r, as revelation, is a perfect example, a perfect confirm confirmation of those two, of those two uh, rules. A phenomenon, a full uh, we, uh, uh, a full developed phenomenon is a phenomenon which gives itself by itself and which appears uh, without, uh, pre, uh, without yielding to uh, previous regulation, so to speak. The phenomenon appears without being documented. I would say a real phenomenon is illegal and undocumented. The object is a documented, under condition, legal, yielding to the regulation phenomenon. The phenomenon of the kind of revelation is a phenomenon which comes by itself with asking for no authorization. It can be sent back <laughs> if he is unbearable. And there are cases where he has to be sent back because he is really unbearable. Well, when in the Bible, for instance, there is that rule, no one can see God without dying. This is an unbearable uh, concept of revelation. It is too much. So, my suggestion is the concept 
as revelation, small r again, is not as we could have seen at the beginning, a marginal and exceptional case in the regular definition of a phenomenon. I would say that uh, recent phenomenology is rather based on the uh, other way. That is, the conditioned, uh, legal, documented, uh, submitted to legislation phenomenon, the object, as composed by the transcendental eye, is in fact a very particular region of phenomenality. The general background is that the phenomena appear without our clearance, authorization, and uh, participation. And we see that in the case of those phenomena which are a revelation for us, from sport to the erotic phenomenon and many other examples. This is my second point. And it is in that uh, context that I was led to say the phenomena which appear by themselves, not ruled by an a priori concept, can be called saturated phenomena. Saturated phenomenon is just a phenomenon where the intuition is not controlled and measured by the limit of the signification or of the concept. And the revelation phenomenon is a kind of phenomenon which is a composition of different kinds of saturated phenomena. So let us come to this this is the conclusion of my second point to this uh, statement. A phenomenon of the type of revelation is the combination of all possible kinds of saturated phenomena. That is, when we want to describe them, we have to describe a phenomenon which is uh, without a measurable quantity which has no uh, degrees, no limit in the degrees of the intensity, which is not correlated necessarily to another phenomenon, cause, effect, substance, accident, substance to substance, and which is not referred uh, to the limits of the mind. So I refer here to four set of categories uh, in Kant's first critique, as you have all uh, <coughs> immediately uh, uh, seen, what you have all immediately seen. So, so far, my description of the characteristic of the phenomenon of revelation is uh, consistent with the uh, actual and today uh, phenomenology and can be used in the description of daily life. Nothing exceptional there. It is exceptional, but within the range of the uh, natural and daily life. So now, uh, third and final point, there is the art of the question, which is that when we speak of revelation, all of us, we 
think immediately of uh, religious <coughs> studies. And it is something which deserves to be uh, emphasized. The most appropriate meaning use of revelation refers to religious issues. That is, in fact, we could even say that religion being a very approximative, if not confusing, concept, comparing many things which are, uh, from a cultural, historical point of view, very diverse and perhaps should not be ranked in the same file. And religion has to be uh, uh, specified. And the main specification among the so-called religion, quoting Mark, quotation mark, the, uh, they can be uh, distinguished between those who claim to be based on a revelation, capital R, and those who don't. And this is first a first distinction which is very useful. So my point is, if we shift to the religious use of revelation, shifting from uh, revelation small r to revelation capital R, uh, what does that mean for the uh, allegedly uh, revealed uh, revelations? This means three characteristic. <clears throat> Revelation with capital R develop in an hyperbolical way some characteristic already uh, there in uh, the uh, Revelation small r. And those are the th uh, at least three, formally speaking. There is when there is revelation, uh, there is the subject of revelation, the beneficiary of the revelation, uh, the believer, in the case of uh, religion, has the status of a witness. Second point, there is no witness without uh, the uh, situation which I may call resistance. And there is no way to speak about the revelation without using paradoxes. The paradoxes is the appropriate form of logos against the predication. There is no predication in revelation. There is only paradoxes. Let us develop quickly those three characteristics of revelation. The first is that uh, the unique character of revelation, in contrast to uh, the knowledge of uh, objective concept, uh, 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 phenomena, is that it is impossible, by definition, to uh, trace the limits of this phenomenon. In a revelation, the more you 
get it, the more you study it, the more you understand it, the more you know that there is at least as much which you don't get, you don't understand, and you cannot match. Uh, the first characteristic of revelation is that it is not that revelation uh, <laughs> give you a comprehensible revelation. The more you discover, the more you know that there is a large part you have not yet understood. And uh, a revelation as indeed uh, can be described as a new uh, clarity in your mind. Suddenly, you, for the first time, you understand what is going on. And at the same time, you have the experience of a gap between what you get and what really appears, which is exactly the opposite of the phenomenon as an object. The phenomenon as an, an object is a phenomenon which can be known throughout, to the point that time to time you have not even any need to experience it throughout, to know him throughout. The technical object is a very good example of that. For instance, your car. You have not seen your car in details. It would be completely crazy to say, I must be aware of the details of uh, the engine, uh, transmission, uh, gearbox, and all, the, all those, those things. You know how to use it. That is, you know uh, the concepts, the operation, the algorithm. You know the concept, but you have no intuition of your car. Only your mechanic, perhaps, has uh, partly an intuition of your car. But you, you would be really crazy to, uh, to, uh, uh, to open the trunk, to open the, 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 where, the, the, where the engine is. This is a, no, not the, the, not the trunk. No, no, it is the wood. No, so, and to, and to uh, uh, undo the everything to see uh, what are the pieces and how is it working. So, in in the uh, uh, technical experience of phenomena, we know that there is nothing to be known. And when everything is going well, you have no need to know throughout what you know. You know in advance that there is nothing more to be known. In the case of revelation, the more you understand and know, the more you know that there is a gap between your understanding and what is happening to you. And this is the situation of the witness. The witness is the reverse of the uh, uh, transcendental subject which completely mastering in constructing the phenomenon. Let us take the, what is the definition of the, of the witness. He has seen the event. So he said to the police officer, uh, uh, the, uh, the bad guy uh, was in dark, uh, he had a gun, uh, he, he ran this way, he shot twice, uh, it was uh, 11.30, and so on, so on. But indeed, he can 
give information from em empiricity, but he has no, perhaps it was not uh, just uh, uh, the fate, it was intended, uh, it was uh, prepared, it was not only to, uh, to, uh, to steal some money, uh, the, the guy uh, was in charge to kill this person because in another plot, uh, he much more intricated, so the witness is not aware. So the witness is absolutely certain of his testimony. There's no reason. He may be uh, able to resist uh, uh, the lawyer of the bad guy and, and so on. But he has no need to understand the full uh, history of the thing. And so the witness is a good testimony because he does not understand not fully understand, which is exactly the situation of the witness in a revelation. In a revelation, the, the witness, and the Bible is very clear, the witness from the beginning don't understand the world of what, what is going on. So there are a lot of, uh, of examples, uh, uh, the burning bush, for instance, Mose is not, does not understand what is going on, all the story of the vocations of the prophet are based on that. And the best example in the New Testament is the story of the, uh, uh, the blind, uh, the man born blind, which is uh, in John chapter nine, uh, which uh, is uh, healed by Jesus, and Jesus sent him to the temple to make uh, his uh, uh, healing known and registered to be reintegrated in the community of, uh, 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 of the temple to, to celebrate. And uh, the, the, the priest asked him, uh, you were healed, but by whom? And the guy says, I don't know. Uh, what I know for sure that I was healed, but I don't know. But uh, we were told that it, it is Jesus. I don't know his name. Uh, uh, and so the question continues. At the end, uh, the same. Uh, so he, Jesus has healed you. So you are one of his disciples. The guy said, I'm not, I don't know this guy. I don't understand the word of your questions. I'm not aware why you, you are reluctant to, to this guy. I know the facts, I don't know the meaning of the facts. And at the end, uh, uh, he said, what is surprising is that you, who are the intellectual of the thing, you don't know who this guy is. It is your job, after all. So this is exactly the witness saying to the police officer, you understand. I have no claim that I understand. I just say what I have experienced. This is the situation of the witness. So in a revelation, so this is very important, in a revelation, <clears throat> the understanding is completely empirical. You, you know <laughs> the discussion about empiricism. Uh, Leibniz answering to uh, Locke, the, uh, we said that everything we know comes from senses. And the answer of Leibniz well known is everything come from senses, but 
with an exception, but the mind itself. So the mind knows everything from empiricity, from senses. This is empiricism. But even in empiricism, you have to presuppose the mind receiving things. In the case of the witness, even the mind comes from outside, from elsewhere. That is, the real witness has no clue of what is going on. And the reason why the witness has to convert, as we used to say, it is not that he has to believe because he does not understand. He has to believe in order to understand a bit what is going on. So the, the principle uh, uh, coined by, uh, by Augustine that if you don't believe, you will not understand. So to believe here means to start to have a better but partial understanding of something which, coming from itself, will always uh, 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 overflow your understanding. This is the witness. When there is, we are in a situation of witness, we can speak of revelation. So it's clear in that case that there is no witness without the possibility and perhaps the need of resistance. By resistance, I mean the fact that if there is always a deficit of the concept compared to the excess of intuition, and this is the definition of revelation, in that case, you either you give up the idea to understand, or you have to modify your uh, conceptual equipment, so to speak. You have to modify your concept, or to add a new concept. To uh, in scientific theory, you have to revise your standards. And you have to uh, imagine more subtle concepts, more comprehensive concepts, more, uh, 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 as I say, more alternative concepts with uh, a more complex logic, a more uh, diverse uh, classification. Uh, you have to invent new categories. And in fact, in sciences, this is a large part of what we call scientific. Uh, Improvement, that is, to invent new concepts. So when the usual concepts uh, does not match the empirical results, in that case, uh, if you are a bad scientist, you uh, deny uh, the empirical result. If you are a good scientist and a genius, you uh, produce new concepts matching the result. In the, in the case of revelation, uh, mutadis, mutadis, it is the same situation. You have to imagine the new concept, and you can stop this requiry because too much is too much, and you stop, and this is the resistance. So here there is a lot of question. What is exactly the nature and the issue in that resistance? Because the resistance here uh, has different meaning. You can imagine a resistance which is simply the fact that you uh, 
you, you give up the attempt to find out the new, more comprehensive concept which could uh, lead you to make sense of the excess of intuition. Uh, example, for instance, uh, 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 classical question about uh, uh, ins the inspiration of scripture, for instance. What does that mean, inspiration of scripture? So you can have a very narrow-minded view that is inspiration is the inspiration of the writer with the genius, they are great inspiration. So as if uh, the Holy Spirit have dictated to the writer what to write word by word. Indeed, it is a very uh, too narrow and too modern concept of authorship to fit with the inspiration. Inspiration uh, now is, uh, there is a literary tradition, a lot of things, but we, we have a new concept of inspiration which is much more sophisticated than the, the an example among others, uh, the question of the distinction between the supernatural and the uh, natural. Uh, that distinction, uh, what is problematic in that distinction is not the supernatural. It is what you mean by natural. Because you can only say natural if there are limits and laws of nature. What does that mean in the today uh, uh, physics, for instance? Is there? That means nothing. There are not fixed laws of nature. We have some regularity in statistic results. But we have no uh, the uh, constant for everything and to connect all the different uh, forces in the world and things like that. So uh, that distinction should be over overcome, not because uh, 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 because, because uh, nature is not today a scientific concept. Neither in philosophy nor in sciences. So, this is the, the resistance can be based on epistemological difficulties. That's the first case. But there is another kind of resistance. That is, in a religious revelation, the more you revealed, the more something is revealed, the more the witness has to make a choice. And this was ex explained very well by Augustine in his theory of the uh, two dimensions of truth. Uh, there is two kinds of truth. There is one truth, which is the veritas lucians, that is, the truth we sheds light on the things themselves. So the more there is light, the better it is, because it expands our knowledge of the world surrounding us. But there is cases where when light is shed, it has a very painful uh, uh, impact on the witness. That is, when, uh, uh, when you discover that the governor of Illinois, uh, at the end of his uh, uh, stay in office, uh, in fact was a crook and has uh, steal money from the taxpayers, uh, this is an information. So he should be very pleased to have more light shed on the things. But the light is always shed, is also shed on the guy. In that case, uh, there is painful to experience truth. In that case, Augustine says that it is veritas redargans, accusing truth. 
the truth accusing who, whom, the witness indeed. And that dimension is always implied in a religious, uh, uh, in a religious uh, uh, re uh, revelation. That is, here there is a resistance and it is unavoidable because if it is about God, the witness indeed cannot be compared to God. So the witness is always in a situation of being a sinner, whatever the word means, perhaps another word, but is inadequate to what reveals itself. So there is no truth on the things without an accusing truth. And the two go together. So there is no revelation without putting the witness in a situation of uh, being accused, not accused by the light, but by yourself, because what you are is now uh, visible by everyone, including you, and you are the, the worst judge against yourself. So in that situation, we understand that resistance is a part of the phenomenality. And it is something we, we experience in uh, personal relationships, indeed. We, we are not very found that uh, I close our closest partner be completely, fully aware of what I am. We would prefer to slow down a bit. And we are, this is very, very reasonable. But so revelation implies resistance. So after that, the question can be, uh, should I resist to what point? That is another point. But I mean, this is, there is no neutral stand in front of, of a phenomenon as revelation. The neutral situation of the uh, theoretical attitude cannot happen here. It's why there is no objectivity, as people say, no, no neutrality in uh, the experience of revelation. Because the revelation is imposing itself to and against, to some extent, the witness. And this cannot be avoided. So this leads us to the third characteristic of uh, the of phenomenon as revelation, big R, which is how can we speak about it? There is a long story during the Enlightenment about what can be rationally said, not only about Christianity, but uh, with, uh, from the point of view of Christianity, about Christianity. It is the uh, theme of uh, how reasonable Christianity is, on the reasonableness of Christianity, the title of Locke, and there are a lot of people. And they used to argue the same. Indeed, Christianity is true, we are good believers, and it is true because Christianity says, in its way, the exact same things said by pure reason. It is clear that if you say that, 
there is a revelation, but revelation is optional. In fact, it is just a, a, a way to have a shorter way to go to the result without the demonstrations. The other way is to say uh, a revelation is irrational, so far so good, and uh, we can trust only what is uh, able to lift up its argument to the level of reason. So the choice is either there is a spontaneous rationality of revelation, but in fact it is not a re revelation, or there is an irreductible re re revelation, but the price to be paid is that it is completely irrational. This is the classical situation of uh, enlightenment, and for a large part, this is still the actual situation, the today situation in the media. The point is that what do we mean when we say rational? What is a rational statement? In philosophy, a rational statement is based on the use of language to issue uh, predication, sentences which are uh, well-built and are predication. We say something about something, and we control, formally speaking, the different rules to have a correct predication, formally, and some uh, procedure to uh, verify them. The question is whether language is always predicative. Do we speak to say most? Is the most radical use of language intended to say something about something? It is clear that there is another use of language, which is not to say something about something, but to say something to someone. And most of the time, when we say something about something, we nevertheless, we say that to someone. And so we cannot say something about something without, in fact, saying it to someone. But we can perfectly well say something to someone without saying anything about anything. And in fact, it is very common. Not only because in the, when we discuss, uh, we, in fact, we say nothing and we have a, a, a good moment with a, a good drink with a, Buddy, without uh, discussing serious issues, fortunately. But you can say the more you are related to someone, the more you will be inclined to speak to that uh, privileged partner, not about something else, but about you and he or her. And to some extent, uh, you speak uh, successfully when you say nothing, but very clearly you address that person personally. And all uh, the uh, use of language in seduction is based on that. 
you start to be successful as soon as you stop to speak about something to the young lady and you suddenly, slowly speak about her to her. That moment, uh, you trigger the thing. So the language, and it is no need of being a specialist of Levinas to understand that, language is intended to say something to someone without saying something else. And it is, after all, uh, what happened in the Bible with the burning bush. God does not say anything. He says, I am who I am, and I will be there with you. And uh, if they ask for a name, the name is, I am who I am, and I will be with you, <laughs> with you. period. So nothing is said. And this is a very successful use of language. It is the alliance, uh, the pledge, all that stuff. So if we, when we have to uh, say, to speak, concerning the revelation, we cannot use predication. Not only we can, uh, we should not, we have nothing to say, because it is not a thing, it is an event. So, and so this is a point that it's too late for me to, to discuss it, but instead of the predication, we have uh, the paradox. The paradox is uh, this use of language where you um, you contradict the predicative logic. You say something which is contradictory, openly contradictory, and which at the same moment makes perfect sense. The paradox is not absurd. The paradox is always meaning, but it describes nothing. It is not a description of a state of the things around us. He gave the, uh, an hint to perhaps an obvious truth, which cannot be expressed uh, uh, plainly. For instance, when you say each one who risks his life save his life. Each one who wants to keep his life will uh, uh, lose his life. Or when you say nothing which is not given is lost. We all understand what it means, but we cannot explain the meaning because it is not a meaning about the relation between two or three uh, other many things in the world. This is the paradox. So I have no time to uh, develop this role of the paradox, but the paradox is as different from predication as the witness is from the transcendental I, and as the resistance is from the, uh, uh, the fact that uh, 
truth is always well received. Truth is not always well, well received. Those are three characteristics of a phenomenon uh, deserving the name of uh, revelation. Final word, uh, all this is purely a formal description. What I mean is that if we can use the concept of reve revelation as a concept, and don't expect that all theologians use it as a clear and well-intended concept, they have the habit to use uh, that, but most, many of them have no clue of the real meaning, if any, of the uh, revelation. Revelation has a meaning if it is the name for a special case of phenomena. And such a phenomenas, phenomenas has to uh, uh, be described with the feature I've tried to give a sketch of. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.